This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcasting every Tuesday morning, 8 to 9, Pacific Time on KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. Our guest today, Tyler E. Boudreau, is a 12-year veteran of the Marine Corps Infantry. He trained and committed himself physically and intellectually to the military life. Then his intense devotion began to disintegrate bit by bit during his final mission in Iraq. In his new book, Packing Inferno, The Unmaking of a Marine, Boudreau reflects on a life built by the Marine Corps, disassembled by the war, and then left with no guidance to rebuild. Today, Boudreau writes and speaks on his experiences and works with other veterans. He is the founder of Collaborative Revolution, a new not-for-profit humanitarian project to assist Iraqi refugees and immigrants resettled in the U.S. Tyler Boudreau, welcome to Weekly Signals. Hello, Tyler. Are you there? I'm here. Oh, great, great, great. Uh, for some reason, the, the, the button wasn't up. I've, I've introduced you, and, and uh, how are you doing today? I'm well. Thank you for having me. Oh, now, now, where are you located? Where, where I'm in Western Mass. Western Massachusetts. How is it there today? Is it a good day? It, it's uh, it's actually not such a great day. Uh, a little gloomy, a little rainy. Oh, well, well there. So it is here, too. And yeah, we're getting our share of rain today, yeah. apparently. So, so tell us. Tell us a little bit about your background, how you came into the Marines, and what you were doing. What drew you into the military life? Well, um, <clears throat> that was in 1989, and I, gra- I uh, enlisted in the Marine Corps directly out of high school. And uh, obviously there was no war back then, so that didn't enter into the equation. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so mostly it was about the challenge. It was about the you know esprit de corps and the camaraderie and the nobility of serving one's country. And the possibility of war, of course, occurred to me, and it wasn't something that I was uh, put off by. It just was sort of a, um, a fantasy uh, scenario at that mm-hmm. point. Now, did... Did the Reagan administration draw you into it? Did that that type of spirit that that he was uh, building out there? Is that well? I you know I don't know. I mean I, I do remember being you know slightly political, and I do remember um, being a fan of of Ronald Reagan at the time. But uh, I don't remember you know that being the source of my uh, interest in the military it was more that um, you know that kind of general warrior ethic that you that you can find out in the communities and you know what you see in the movies and yeah. and just how people uh, you know generally um, admire soldiers and marines and these sorts of things now did this continue to build as you were in the marines during the next decade well, that's right. That's exactly how it happened. Um, uh, I was in from 89 to 93, and obviously that covered the Gulf War, which I missed out on. I was a guard in New Jersey, and I was very disappointed for having missed out on that. And uh, and that's exactly how I perceived it, as having missed out and, 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 and almost sort of embarrassed because I wasn't uh, doing my obligation. I mean, I had signed up to be a Marine infantryman, and there I was sitting in New Jersey. Uh, then I got out, and I went to college, and uh, came back in as a lieutenant in 97, and, and missed... Uh, uh, you know our operations in Yugoslavia and Somalia, and, and again this feeling of having missed out and having sort of uh, almost feeling like I'd shirked my responsibilities, even though there was really no way for me to have a you know a different plan. Um, and then I go out to the operating forces again as a lieutenant, and the world is quiet, and I start to think of myself as the world's greatest peacekeeper. <laughs> um, 
and uh, and then I go out to finish my tour there and go out to the Marine Corps Recruit Depot where I'm training recruits in San Diego, and uh, that's when we had that was 2000 to 2003. So that was uh, covering 9/11, the invasion of uh, Afghanistan and Iraq. Yes. So now, now as the build-up to the war of Iraq is going on, are you feeling more and more like this is going to be your chance that that the the two missed opportunities before uh, are now going to you're going to have a chance to be in battle and that you're somehow going to uh, make good on your uh, service. Well, that's right. So there's a, but there's a combination here, and this is yeah. something I describe in in the book Back Inferno is that uh, is that there was some ambivalence about the the uh, political uh, scene uh, regarding Iraq, but like you just said, there has been a long build up in me. Um, and I am waiting and waiting for my uh, for my chance to you know test my metal as they say in uh, in battle. Um, there's also a credibility issue. I've been in the Marine Corps for a long time and I've been talking talking the big game for a long time. And now here's my opportunity. Um, it would be uh, difficult for me to suddenly say, well, I think I'm going to go ahead and get out of the Marine Corps now. Um, so you know there was that issue as well. But there was the ambivalence about the uh, the mission in general. So I sort of entered into the situation with a slightly divided consciousness. Let, let, just step in. Let me ask, uh, because he, here you are, a recruiter, uh, as 9-11 oh, occurs. A right? trainer, not a, a recruiter. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, trainer. Yeah. I, pardon me, yeah. trainer. I was. Uh, okay, well then, you're a trainer as 9-11 occurs. Uh, obviously, as all Americans, we're looking for, you know, we're, we're wondering wh- why this has happened, and we're going to find out who did it and punish them. Uh, I'm sure that was part of the mentality uh, of wanting to get into combat here. But you, then you said you had some reservations about the political side. Was it that the Bush administration hadn't made the case for you that you had that, that that a war against Iraq was warranted? Is that what you were? Well, I, you know, I I, I didn't spend a lot of time thinking it over uh, a lot, and I didn't. I don't think that I even articulated it clearly to myself. Um, and it wasn't Afghanistan immediately. I mean, my reaction to 9/11 mm. and uh, was very much like many Americans' reaction. It was vehement. It was anger. It was, you know, you know, let's do something about this. And, and I am in the military, and this is I am the person to do it. So, you know, I was definitely in that spirit for Afghanistan at the time. Uh, Iraq presented just a different set of emotions for me, and I and I can't say that I really analyzed it carefully, but I can also tell you that um, the idea of preemptively attacking a country uh, it didn't set what right with my marine mentality. I mean, I always thought of myself as a defender of Americans, and and I mean, I know that they said that we were sort of indirectly defending. It was a national security thing, the WMD, but it just for some reason it wasn't sitting in my gut right, and so I started to feel a little off about it. No. We're speaking with Tyler E. Boudreau. The book is Packing Inferno, the Unmaking of a Marine. When you when you arrived in Iraq, uh, were you there to win hearts and minds? Was that uh, your general uh, goal? Oh, absolutely. No, mm-hmm. not, it, was no, it was not just a slogan, and I kind of try to impress this upon people. Uh, you know, as much as, as it was a slogan, it was uh, taken very seriously by the Marine Corps. And we um, and we spent a lot of time thinking about this and planning for it, and, and we did to as much you know to the extent that we could. We trained for this idea of of winning hearts and minds. That is, to win the support of the populace. And you know the concept being, if if the people in general like who we are and they're supporting us, then they just plain won't support an insurgency. I mean, insurgencies cannot operate without popular support. So both of us are, it's a competition, it's a popularity contest almost. Uh-huh. And so they said, Here's the, here are the things that we're going to do 
to make the Iraqi people like us. We're going to build them clinics. We're going to build them schools. We're going to go to town council meetings. We're going to hand out soccer balls. We're going to shake hands and kiss babies and hand out food and, mm-hmm. and all these things. And, and once in a while, we're going to get into a fight with the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And it sounded like a good package to me And and until we got there and I saw how that played out on the ground. Okay. Well, now, how was it playing out on the ground? What, what, what did you notice? What was, the, what was the first incident that really kind of turned you a bit? But well, be ta- well, let me ask you. What, okay. what was what? When were you actually stationed in Iraq? We, let's get the time frame on that. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was in uh, Iraq in the year of two thousand four. So. Uh, and just some historical context, we had uh, taken down Baghdad in uh, late, or excuse me, June of '03. The Marine Corps generally pulled out uh, over the summer of of '03, and then you know this is when the insurgency started started to bubble up, and we had these first IEDs, these rudimentary IEDs on the ground, and people said, "Whoa, we're we're starting to take casualties." And um, this was, this was post mission accomplished. That's right, post yeah. post you know end of major hostilities, yeah. and then. You know, then the Marine Corps was called back, and you know, so in, uh, by October of '03, we were preparing to go back to Iraq, uh, and and that was where I came in, and we actually ended up deploying there in the beginning of '04. So that's kind of the scenario. And our commanding general, uh, James Mattis, uh, you know, was was pretty adamant about the idea that the Army had kind of created the situation. I mean, he was not he was not vague about this. He said, "Look, they're not." Treating the Iraqi people with dignity. Okay, this is what this is the problem here. You know, they're going, they're being too rough with them. They're shooting people at checkpoints. They're manhandling them. They're busting into their houses. They're not respecting their culture. We're going to do it right. You know, Marines, yeah, we're yeah. going to get this thing right. And yeah. so, one of the ways that we're going to show them our humanity is, uh, you know, through a program he called Wave Tactics. And um, he said, every time you see a Marine, oh, excuse me, every time you see an Iraq on the street, I want you to smile and I want you to wave at him. Because, you see, this is going to show them we want to be their friend and that we, we mean what we say. And he was so serious. I mean, I, I, I really emphasize this because he was so serious about distinguishing Marines from the soldiers who were there that we wore green utilities when we went to Iraq. We did not wear the, uh, the desert browns uh, initially. And he wanted to make sure the Iraqi people recognized on-site Marines uh, for this. So, you know, we started driving from Kuwait up towards Baghdad, and, and I was, you know, hanging out the window of my uh, Humvee, uh, and I'm waving at them with one hand, and I'm pointing my weapon at them with the other. And um, and so this is, you know, you asked for where it starts to kind of unfold, and that's where it starts right there. And I notice, and I say, huh, this looks a little odd. This feels a little odd. I imagine it must look a little odd. And um, And I noticed that as we were driving north, there were these convoys heading south, filled with um, soldiers, and they were, had already done their tour, and they were heading home. And I noticed none of them were waving, and I was sort of disgruntled by this. You know, I was a captain, and I said, oh, these guys got to start waving. They obviously don't understand. You know, this is how we're going to win the war. We're going to wave at them. And um, so, you know, I'm, I want to say to myself, well, get, get your people waving. But, um, mm-hmm. but then I thought again. I said, well, gee, you know, I wonder when it's our time to head south. Will we still be waving? And, um, and we had... Uh, you know, we had this guy who was in a, a Marine, he was in a Humvee, and, a, a, and a, an IED, uh, one of these roadside bombs, exploded, and the shrapnel went through his shoulder and, and cut open one of his lungs. And, um, and, and after that point, I never saw a Marine in my battalion wave ever again, and that was three days into our deployment. Um, so, you know, that's how it started to unfold on the ground. Yeah. I mean, obviously you weren't there at the beginning of the deployment of the U.S. forces in Iraq, but... Did, it, looking back, is it those those first few days when the United States uh, moved into Baghdad, the U.S. forces moved into Baghdad, and the Iraqi 
people were waiting and hoping for to, for a sign of the kind of administration that the uh, the U.S. was bringing, and they saw their national uh, museums uh, looted. They saw so much of the the city essentially taken over in a sort of a mob scene, and the protection of the oil ministry and nothing yeah. else. Uh-huh. Is that? Do you think that that was sort of the beginning? And then I want to ask you about Fallujah as well. I want, those just. Do you think that was the beginning of, of, of the uh, of the sort of loss discontent? Of, yeah, discontent on the part of the Iraqi people. Do you think that that was when they they had been used to a tyrannical leader who who was in control of everything and hoping for something more benevolent to move in and saw this chaos? And then I want to ask you about Fallujah as well. Yeah. The uh, my my reaction, of course, I, I wasn't there, uh, but also when I was in Iraq, uh, my job sort of precluded the um, you know uh, more intimate relationships with Iraqi people. Uh, some people were actually able to develop some relationships with uh, people, but I, I was not, uh, so I didn't get a chance to really get a feel for their uh, imp- uh, you know their points of view. But what, but people who have have always told me the, the wiser people have said to me. Uh, something that always resonates is that look the the, the people of Iraq are not uh, a single entity. They are as complex as any group of people that you can imagine. So there were all kinds of different reactions to different things. I mean, there were there were people who were probably very happy, and then there were some who were you know sort of suspicious. Uh, others who were you know downright unhappy about things. And um, so you know, I think that what you had was a combination. And I but I agree. I think that when you when when they saw the episodes with the museum looting and the artifacts being taken out and destroyed, um, I think that certainly would. You know, all you have to do is really put yourself in their shoes, and then, yeah. then you get the answer. Uh, of course. Well, well, imagine, I mean, this maybe not exactly uh, apples to apples here, but imagine the U.S. government or U.S. people watching the Smithsonian looted and 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 then protecting i don't know the the federal reserve bank or something like that and and you're watching your country kind of disintegrate in front of you yeah. i don't know that's if that's right. a, that's enough. well I, I mean you can always use that example and i ask people to to use um, to use that model of, of putting themselves in the shoes all the time when yeah. I talk about it. I mean, when they say, when I hear people talk about, look, things are so much better. Okay, well, pack your bags, go ahead and move into Baghdad and see what you think. Or, better yet, why don't you think about the idea of, of troops up and down your street coming into your house when they feel like it, sometimes being gentle, sometimes being rough. You're not really sure. Checkpoints where a guy could perceive a threat. You're not a threat, yeah. you, you know, but, but he could perceive a threat and shoot. Into your car. Uh, into your car. Uh, could possibly kill you, could wound you. You know, with all these, uh, you know, just how would you like that? Would you like that scenario in your neighborhood? Yeah. So, you know, these are the kinds of things that I just sort of present to people and say, look, when we're talking about winning the popular support, um, and these are the kinds of operations that are going down, and, and uh, you know, this is, you know, you shouldn't be awfully surprised that there's sort of a growing animosity. Um, but I should also point out that the reason that many of these operations did unfold the way they did was was because of the nature of this, uh, you know, of, of an occup- uh, occupation. You know, we don't know who we're dealing with. We can't see our enemies. There's no conventional armed military force that we can just go at. Um, so what ends up happening is you uh, you don't see where the threat's coming from, and so you wind up being suspicious of everybody you see. Mm-hmm. And you fight for survival, and you and you struggle to help people in general, but you don't know who those people are. Yeah. It's very. Di- I'm sure I can't imagine what it was like, but it, it's got to be difficult to be benevolent when you're when you're under this constant strain of wondering who who's who's with you and who's going to who's going to uh, strap some 
C5 to the bottom of your, your vehicle and, and, and wonder what's going to happen. I mean, Well, I think the bottom line is you don't. Um, yeah, you, you, don't. You, you, could, you make uh, an effort, and, and this is one of the reasons that in, in my book I talk about the culture of the Marine Corps a lot. It, it plays in because... Uh, you know, look, we're, the Marine Corps is a, a fighting unit. This is what we get trained to do. Our function is to go into wars and to combat and to fight. And so we spend a lot of time not just training the technical spill, skills, but developing an attitude, developing a mentality. And um, and this is important if you have a conventional fight. I mean, if you've got a war to fight, um, you know, send the Marines because they're tough and they're going to fight it. But when you've got the situation where they've maybe being tough and good fighters is not necessarily the um the 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 best skill um it it's very difficult so when you have a, an ambiguous situation like well who's the threat um you can understand why they would default to what they're used to, their mentality, which is aggressiveness, which is violence. And that's what we did. I mean, I was interested in surviving, as anybody would be, and, and my the, the method that I chose was violence, mm-hmm. was aggression. We're speaking with Tyler Boudreau. The book is Packing Inferno, The Unmaking of a Marine. You were going to say something about uh, well, Fallujah, Mike? No, I, yeah, I'm just curious because I, I look at, as I look back on, on Iraq, I look at the... the what happened in Baghdad right after the we took over, and Fallujah as being two of the things that set the tone for the way that the general population uh, and I know it's mixed with Shiites and Muslims and Sunnis and and uh, and the uh, Kurds in the north, but th- it's setting a tone uh, for the way that in which we were going to be um, uh, benevolent occupiers mm-hmm. yeah, or, or occupiers, but we wanted to be benevolent occupiers, and I think that this changed so much the perception of whatever it was we were trying to accomplish in the minds of the Iraqi people. Yeah, what was your experience in Fallujah? Okay, well, uh, as you recall, the uh, the four contractors were killed in Fallujah in March mm-hmm. uh, of '04, and uh, and this precipitated the the siege that the Marine Corps laid on the city, and that was in. That sort of started in April of '04, and there was kind of a couple of initial assaults on the city, and my battalion was involved in a little bit of that, um, you know, some of those skirmishers uh, in, in the beginning, and then of course the, the the siege was lifted, so we did not end up going through the city as we were planning to, and um, and and how that played into the overall um, the overall package was something that I wasn't paying close attention to because um, I was very excited about getting involved in a conventional fight. Um, even amidst my my, ambi- uh, my ambivalence, excuse me, um, there was that kind of old nagging desire to get into a real fight. And, and what we were doing in the other area of operations was just sort of patrolling around and doing raids and, you know, getting hit. And I was getting frustrated and I was getting angry watching my fellow Marines get hit or killed. Um, but here was a chance for us to really, you know, Dig in and, and fight against uh, you know a concentrated uh, body of uh, enemy. Um, so you know we were I'd say that generally speaking we were pretty uh, excited about it. Uh, and then when the when the siege got uh, lifted, we were disappointed to have to go back to the old grind. So how that played in, I, I you know I wasn't really thinking about it much at the time. I mean after the fact, I said to myself, well, how does this? This uh, play in when you have to wipe out a city, and 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 there's Fallujah is sort of a larger example of many small uh, examples in Iraq where commanders will see the it's it's the uh, we've got to destroy the village to build the village mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, is and, it, uh, that that's uh, that that's always been difficult for me to to swallow. Isn't this always been the real the root of the problem in our invasion of Iraq, and that is 
we we had we had these great tactics with no strategy. There was no there was really never. I don't can't point to an an, an arc of a strategy for Iraq, with a lot of very good talent uh, tactics on the part of the armed forces who fought there. I uh, putting that aside. Is, am I incorrect? To, to, what is the strategy in Iraq? What was it? Can you can anyone really identify? Well, the strategic thinking here. What I what I uh, I, I really concentrate on my individual experience. Okay. And, and and but 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 here's why. And, and it's and I'm not uh, avoiding what you're saying. But what I'm saying is, um, if you look at those those individual actions. And if you look at the, the scenarios that, that I described for individual Marines and individual units, um, I think it tells you all you need to know. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that you have to get wrapped up in the strategies and the, and the policies because once you do, it becomes so convoluted. You can debate the thing all day long. I think that once you get down to the human level and you get it and you understand it, yeah. then there's nothing more to understand. You've got the picture. Because it is the core of any movement. It's the individual rifleman. And, and around that individual rifleman is a fire team. And around that fire team is a squad. And around the squad is a platoon and then a you know, company and then a battalion and then a regiment. They are, the, the, the individual is the base of every movement. Yeah. And if he is in an un- impossible situation, then I think that by definition the entire operation is an impossible situation. Mm-hmm. Now, how did the violence there affect you? Is, is that what really uh, drove you to, to resign, to or is there is there some other fact? It's just the buildup of everything that, that that's right. You... Well, that's right because there we were, uh, and and I had of course accepted the uh, the concept of 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 you know the use of violence, the use of military force. I'd accepted that before I got there, and I play and I went right along with it. And I, I mean, I didn't just go along with it. I, I mean, I engaged it uh, willingly. Um, but as we start to move along, and I keep in mind this mission, winning hearts and minds, winning the popular support, and I went there with the genuine hopes of, of helping a people. And, 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 you know, once in a while getting in this fight with these sort of peripheral bad guys, but it was never peripheral. It was always integral. And I, I started to have more and more difficulties with the way we were conducting ourselves around town and the way we were starting to perceive all Iraqis. I mean, it became very obvious that our uh, we were, you know, starting to despise all Iraqis um, and be suspicious of all Iraqis because we were taking casualties and we were getting angry and we were getting frustrated. If we didn't think every single individual had a hand on the IED or on the RPG or whatever, but we knew that they were aware of those insurgent activities and we knew that they were uh, at least conniving at them and that made us mad at them. Yeah, well, I, I, we need to shift gears here. Uh, we're speaking with Tyler Bedreau. The book is "Packing Inferno: The Unmaking of a Marine." We're, since we're running short on time, I want to talk about the collaborative revolution uh, projects that you're involved with now. This is this is the other side of your story, and I, I want to get to that. Great, yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about what is collaborative revolution. Okay, so. Uh... <laughs> Collaborative Revolution is, uh, is, a, is sort of an initiative that I started, and it's, um, it's, it's an organization, but it forms, it's, uh, uh, functions as an umbrella to multiple small projects. And the projects are, are not 
necessarily directed in any one direction, but except that they're humanitarian in, na- in nature. But it started out as an effort to uh, look at the Iraq refugee crisis because right now there's you know two and a half million Iraqi display internally displaced and another two and a half million uh, refugees in surrounding countries like Jordan and Syria and uh, and beyond. So uh, this was a situation I was particularly concerned about because you know in Fallujah I had seen you know we had. We had told the people of Fallujah to go ahead and pack their bags and get out of town because there was going to be a big fight. And we intended that in, in the best possible way. We didn't want there to be a lot of collateral, da- uh, collateral damage. We didn't want civilians to get caught in the crossfire. So we said, hey, look, we, you know, just get out of town and we're going to handle this. And then you can come back later. Um, it never really occurred to me where they were going as they, you know, threw a, you know, a, a duffel bag over their shoulder and walked over the horizon. And 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 now, uh, you know, a few years later, I start to read the papers and I see all these uh, refugees and I say, wow, I mean, I, I recognize how I played a part in this whole thing. And so I became concerned because, like, we get back to that winning hearts and minds and helping the Iraqi people out of a bad situation. I said to myself, well, gee, it seems to me like we've actually created a, a worse situation for some of them anyway. Um, these people have no home. They have no job. They have nowhere to go. They're stuck in a country like Jordan that won't call. They won't recognize them as refugees because that would require them to uh, to provide them certain um, services and rights. Uh, and they can't go home because it's too dangerous. And they can't go anywhere else because they won't take them. So they're in a you know a pretty lousy situation. So I wanted to really look into this. So. Um, I went to Jordan last summer with another veteran and, uh, and a journalist and a photographer, and we uh, and we uh, met with a lot of, you know, uh, government officials from Iraq and Jordan and uh, U.S. and we talked to uh, refugee families and just started to develop our own understanding of the situation. We you know we wrote a number of articles and we tried to figure out how you know we could influence the situation. So um, one of the ways that I decided that I could do something practically um, was to try to help Iraqi families who had made it to the U.S. and uh, and to help them resettle here and integrate into our culture. Okay. So that was one of our first projects. It was the, uh, there was a, a number of Iraqi families coming into the Albany, New York area, and we had a day of art and food and and just general socializing where we, you know, just let them know that, you know, hey, we're, we're here to support you and, and, and yeah. welcome to our country. Well, unfortunately, we have run out of time. Uh, I, I, let, give us a website. Oh, I was just going to say one more thing before yeah. you go. How, how do you feel about the Obama presidency? You think that's going to be good for veterans? And, and, and finally, do you think you can wear, win a war against terrorism? Um, I, I, I have a lot of respect for, uh, for Barack Obama, and I, and I, and I hope... Uh, that he's going to bring about some of the changes. It's um, it's always, um, um, you know, I, as a lot of people are, we're, we're sort of cautiously optimistic. And the caution comes from the institution itself, from the program. It's not from him. I don't think that he is, uh, has uh, been false. But what happens is the, the, the power of, you know, the momentum of the powers in Washington and the corporate America and all these things are, are, are tremendous. And, and an individual walking in there... Um, you know, can very easily be swept away, yeah. and uh, and I fear that that will happen to him as well. But I do hope that uh, we'll see some good things. Yeah, and and then again, just on a personal level, <clears throat> having been there, do you think we can win a war against terrorism, or you know, by violence, or do you think we have to pull back and 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 try and and engage people? Yeah, well, I mean, engaging people is is really the only way, and and uh, I've always been happy when I hear. You know, Barack Obama saying, "Look, uh, part of this is is getting the uh, the world to 
kind of like us a little better, uh, right. and, and they wouldn't be interested in, in terrorism so much. Yes. Yeah, well, this is a fascinating story, and I want to thank you for joining us here on Weekly Signals. No, what, again, you were going to say the website. You yeah. do have a blog. Where yeah, I do. I have a blog. It's called Deeper Than War. Uh-huh. Deeper than war, and it's a uh, it's a dot org. That's right. right. Well, it's, it, well, this is it's good. www dot deeper than wars dot blogspot dot com. And there's a lot of other information on there about the projects, including my cross country uh, cycling trip yeah. next and summer. And people can can get to it through our uh, to the Weekly Signals website. So if they don't haven't written yeah. that down, they can. And I want to thank you so much. Again, the book is Packing Inferno, The Unmaking of a Marine. Tyler Boudreau, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's great. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week... I'm Nathan Callahan, and I'm Mike Caspar, and this is Weekly Signals.